Welcome to The Fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideau, joined as always by the voice of all combat sports, the legend Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Good. Not as good as you, but you know, what was the car company, Avis or Hertz? We try harder. Which one was it? It was, <laughs> it was never Hertz and Avis. They had the competition. One was there first and we said, we're, yes. we're Avis. We try I'm harder. I'm going to guess it was Avis. Yeah. I try harder. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I don't have a haircut styled up like yours every week and, and you know, I flew all the way to Los Angeles for this uh, haircut. Shout out to Brandon Craven, Westside Barber Company. Yeah, I mean, I someday I'm I, you know, I dream of being at your status where <laughs> I can fly around to get haircuts just just to get a haircut and groomed up a little bit. And you know, I no, this past week we were doing some important stuff with the charity foundation, the Doctor Atlas Foundation. Every year. At Christmas time, we hand out toys. We handed out 7,000 toys to kids that might not get a Christmas present, believe it or not, at, in this great country on that holiday. So we go to all the places we should go to where the need is greater. Uh, Title I schools in New York, that's basically a means of family making less than 35000 a year. But um, so... We, we go to those schools and wherever the areas are, if it's a shelter, hospital, whatever. And I go to, I don't go to all of them. I go to a few of them where we bring Santa Claus. The rest of them, we just have them pick up their toys and distribute them. But for the kids in the schools, I want them to see Santa Claus, you know. So I pick the, the fattest guy on my committee, you know, and he becomes Santa Claus, you know. Uh... I have all of my volunteers <laughs> around me because I pride ourselves that we don't spend money on administrative costs uh, like some places do. We spend it on the people, on the cases for the most part. By the way, Teddy, I know that your your board now is going to be like, God, please, my goal for the year is to not get the call to be Santa Claus. No, well, they're, <laughs> they're all on diets and um, they don't want to they don't want to get that call. But uh, I got good people. That's the motivation. Me. Yeah, I got all good people around me. I'm blessed. And uh, so we went, we handed out the toys, and it's it's beautiful to see these kids because we do from pre-K, kindergarten, first grade, second, third. You know, we, we do it for the whole school. And uh, it's really, it's refreshing. Just, again, I got my grandchildren, so I see it. But again, to see the purity, the innocence of children, it it reminds us of, uh, you know, it just, I guess I've said it before, it's just a reminder of how, first of all, how blessed we are to have kids and to have healthy kids if we are blessed to have them. And just how kids, they, the purity of a kid is, the greatness of a kid is that they're not, cluttered with all the crap that we get cluttered with as we get older you know it's it's just you're good to them they're good to you you they they want goodness they just they they just want someone to spend time with them and be good and you know what we're all in a position to do that no matter what our salaries are or aren't we're all in a position to do that to do that one thing we really are if we think about it but anyway uh 
I'll tell you one story. I'll tell you one story about a kid, and this is the one I I love to tell. It was a few years ago to to be you know straight about it. It was a few years. We've been doing this twenty seven years. So we went to the school. And they had it set up an auditorium where I had Santa Claus, and this was a big school. It had like 1,200 kids, so it was huge. And we're in the auditorium. They got all the classes set up, pre-K, K, one, two, and they got them all set up in different areas, and the principals in there, the guidance counselor, the student coordinators, parent coordinators, and they're just looking at us to give them the okay when it's time to release <laughs> release the kids. So there's one group, the pre-K, and I'm looking at them, and there's this little, this little Spanish kid, little Mexican kid in the front, and he's got fat cheeks, and you know he's probably four years old, and he he keeps coming, and the, and one of the Teachers would grab him, put him back in line. Comes again. Grab him, put him back in line. Comes again. I waved to him. Hey, how you doing, buddy? Go back again. Big <laughs> smile on his face. Finally, we give the signal. Go. Let's go. Release. Open the gates. And he comes. He comes walking over. Walks right over to Santa Claus. Ken, so help me God. He says to him, "I've been wait. I've been looking for you all my life." <laughs> I, I, I I'm telling you, I was ready to. I don't know what. I mean, I, I I've been looking for you all my life. I guess what I'm saying is, if I ever needed confirmation that we were in the right place, you know, giving the toys out, because you do have to make a choice. Even though seven thousand toys is a lot, you still have to make a choice of where to go, and because you can't go everywhere. And that was confirmation. Thank you, God, we're in the right place. But Anyway, it was another good year. Seeing a lot of smile faces, a lot of beautiful kids. I'm ready. I'm ready to get into boxing now, UFC, whatever. We're gonna hit first. One quick thing before we get into it, you're gonna have to talk to your fighter, uh, Cameron. He's been misbehaving all week. This happens every year. The kids get crazy as Christmas time gets closer. I think all the excitement has them all hyped up. So he hasn't been behaving, hasn't been listening to his mom and talking back. And, you know, he's got the elf on the shelf that comes. You know this. And this year they have a little miniature elf that is in the mentorship program from Santa. So he's got Seamus, the elf, and Spike, the junior assistant. And um, so they haven't come back in three days because Cameron was misbehaving. So he's writing letters every day. Seamus, I hope you can come back. I hope I didn't get Spike kicked out of the mentorship program. But... Sometimes this kid needs a kick in the pants. He's just, ugh. I know he can't control his enthusiasm, but uh, we're going to have to have you have a talk with him because the only thing that seems to register with him whenever I tell him if he says he doesn't want to train, I'm like, all right, let me call Teddy and see if you can take the day off. He's like, never mind, I'll train. <laughs> so he may need a uh, reminder that, you know, you can't train and, and, and be a fighter and have no discipline and be treating people poorly. No, I Listen, I'll talk to him. But we might need a reminder. We, I won't say you, mm -hmm. we may, might need a reminder that he's just a kid. And that, you know what? Yep. Kids sometimes, they, uh, they, they go off a little bit off skelter. Just a little bit. And you know what? It's not, yep. it's not bad. It's not nearly as bad as, God forbid, we went off skelter when, we, right. when we were young and, or, or maybe not quite that young, hopefully, but when we were in those in-between difficult years. So we got to remind them. We got to remind ourselves, too. But um, I will definitely talk to them, and 
you know, I'll talk to him like a fighter. I'll tell him, hey, yeah, you know, we we have to, you got to be good and disciplined inside the ring, right? And he'll say yes. And he looks you right in the eyes. So that, that shows you that he's being taught the right way. And then I'll say, okay, but if you're not practicing that outside the ring, then you will be weak at that inside the ring. What you have to be strong at inside the ring is the same thing you have to be strong at outside the ring. Once we have that conversation, you know what? The elf will be back. You have a lot of elves. Um, uh, he really, he listens to you. I mean, when you talk to him, he, he genuinely, I mean, I wish he'd listen to his dad that way. He, but he will. sometimes the, you need no. a coach to yeah, like of course. rattle your cage. UFC, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Donald Trump bringing the uh, enthusiasm into um, Vegas. Uh, man, star-studded event. I was supposed to be at the event myself. I was in L.A. I was going to go with my friend Jelly Roll. He got sick. I ended up flying home with him on Friday night, unfortunately. But, um, man, what a show this was. Uh, let's jump right into it with one of the prelims. Tony Ferguson in tough with young Patty Pimblett, the upstart, and Patty Pimlet beat the brakes off of Tony. Tony had, um, you know, unique training method. He spent a week with uh, David Goggins going through a Navy SEAL-like hell, hell week training. But really, I think Tony needed some MMA coaching. And to not have a strong MMA coach in your corner when you're in tough like this, I think really showed itself in this fight in particular. They really didn't have an answer for anything Patty was doing. And he just, it was just three rounds of punishment. And uh, Patty Pimblett gets the decision. Easy 30-27 on all three scorecards. Um, another loss for Tony. It's hasn't looked good recently. You know, he's tough as nails. And like you would always say, like you never know any of these old time guys that been around a long time can always pull one out of the fire and shock everyone. Uh, but it wasn't to be this Saturday. Uh, how'd you like the fight? How'd you like the performance from Patty? No, I think Patty's improving. That's where I go. Uh, he was very close to finishing Ferguson in the first round with his ground and pounding. And he was very smart. You know, he took him, he took him and dominated him on the mat. Uh, which was smart. He he's very strong there, Pimblet, and he took him there. His striking has improved a little bit, uh, Pimblet, where he was more concise, more disciplined with with his approach, and his defense was a little better. He still got to tuck that chin down; it stays up, you know, like the t old times would always say, like a uh, lantern in a like a lantern in a storm, where it's a target. You got to put that chin down a little bit if you're Pimblet because it's been hit before. He's shown that he's got a good chin, but sooner or later, somebody, the wrong guy, will hit it. But I saw improvement. I saw improvement in those areas. And he is very strong on the mat. Uh, and Ferguson's old. I mean, I'm taking nothing away from Pimblet's perform performance, but, you know, nobody has come up with a fight plan to beat Father Time yet. And I think that's part of what's going on here with Ferguson. But at the end of the day, uh, good performance. Pimblett needed a good performance because his last fight was tough, was close. Uh, a lot of people were starting to get a little down on him, saying he's he's more about being built up. Uh, you know, as far as uh, the UFC, they're needing star power. They always have certain stars. He's one of them now, one of the, you know, been the new star for the last couple of years. Uh, people were starting to doubt his legitimacy as a 
as a fighter or in the area of fighting, not just being a star and a promotional product. But he, I think he did a good job in really kind of quelling the waters, if you will, uh, in that kind of talk where he showed uh, that he is a guy that's not only a fighter uh, and a fighter to be dealt with, but a guy that's improving. He's young and he's improving. So let's go to the next one. Yep. Next one we had, um, give me one second, Rachmanov and um, Rachmanov and Wonderboy Stephen Thompson. Um, man, Stephen Thompson, he's so tough. Uh, I think this might have been the first time he's ever been submitted. Rachmanov remains undefeated, just walking through guys. He looks to be pretty much unbeatable at this weight class. Um, these Russian guys bring the heat. Um, what would you think of the performance? He's 18 and 0. I think he was 17 and 0 going in, Rockmanoff. And Thompson's 40 years old. Again, Father Time is, you know, undefeated, as I said about Ferguson. Uh, but Rockmanoff, he got the rear naked choke submission in round two. He's a monster on the mat. What can you say? You don't need Teddy Atlas to tell you that. Uh, he won the battle of geography. I always talk about geography. Whatever your skill sets are, your job. Uh, and part of the fight, the first part of the fight, is to get to the geography that you can use your, you know, superior skills, your superior abilities, whatever they might be, whatever they've been, you know, whatever they've been developed to be. You have to get to the right place to use them. And he did that. He got the geography, uh, got to where he could use those talents, and he dominated on the mat. Uh, at the end of the day, I, you know, we'll talk about it later when we talk about the main event and Edwards, but Rogmanoff is right there. That welterweight division, we talk about the lightweight and junior welterweight division in boxing in the welterweight division in MMA or UFC in particular is a monster division with a lot of, uh, a lot of monsters there, and Rachmanov is one of those monsters that is getting himself in line to see if he could get a hold of Edwards, but there's a couple guys there uh, looking for that chance to fight for the welterweight title, so it's going to be interesting to see who gets that next shot. Rachmanov is definitely a guy that nobody could complain about if he got that spot, so good, um, again, just just a tremendous performance uh, showing his skills in the geography that he can best show his skills. What's the next one? Next up, we got Alexandra Pantoja gets the relatively easy win against Brandon Royville. 50-45 uh, on two scorecards. One judge gave Royville one of the rounds, 49-46, but pretty much a one-sided walkover for uh, Pantoja. Pantoja looked tremendous his last fight against Marino, who I think is is just great, 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 and who I love. You got to love Pantoja, too. This was a little bit more difficult than uh, maybe it looked like it was going to be at the beginning, or people thought it would be, but all these guys are monsters, all these UFC. You get no, again, I've said it a million times, you don't get any layups. There, there's no slam dunks. There's very, I mean, really, it, it's every everybody has a chance to upset the apple cart, almost everybody in UFC. And Pantoja, Pantoja, he got the takedown, 
and control position on the mat uh, to win the first round. And at the end of the round, Roy Val got up, did some striking, scored a couple punches, but Pantoja took the round. Second round, Pantoja got got his takedown that he wanted, position, and he got the position on the mat. But I called it a dormant position. The reason I said that, he was controlling the round and winning, but not doing a lot other than controlling, a dormant. And I thought that, um, that you know, he was, it, it didn't, you know, he could have done a little more, but credit to, on the, on the mat, but credit to Roy Val for not allowing him to. Um, in the striking, Pantoja landed a straight right hand on the southpaw Roy Val. Uh, it, was a, it was a nice shot he landed. Again, great grappling, jiu-jitsu by Pantoja. Third round was a good comeback round for Roy Val. Uh, I thought he was striking well, and then Pantoja got him to the mat again, but he started to fatigue, and it showed. The fourth round, Pantoja, master on the mat, uh, so strong and smart, but Roy Val showed great heart and really made it interesting, Ken, when he got the chance to do striking. And Pantoja seemed to be, again, starting to run, just run on empty a little bit. It started to look like he was running on fumes uh, going into the fifth round. But, uh, and it, it was, it became really interesting for a minute there. At least to me it did because of the heart resiliency of, of Roy Val. But Pantoja behaved like the champ he is he got it back to the mat where he's, you know, a master, and he won the division. Uh, he won the decision. So I don't know. Was there a couple kinks in the armor? Because there's not many kinks in the armor of Pantoja. Was a couple with his gas tank running a little bit low there? Uh, maybe, but maybe we're not giving enough credit. And I'm gonna try to make sure I do give enough credit to Roy Val. I mean, that guy. That guy's a problem. That guy's a load uh, to deal with, uh, even against the really tremendous talent of Pantoja. So at the end of the day, I, I guess what I'm saying is Pantoja's great. I want to see more Roy Val. Uh, but I think to get the best of Roy Val, you want to see him in five-round fights because everyone is always talking about their favorite guy in in the UFC about this guy's got an engine like Covington. This guy, which he didn't really show uh, on this particular night, but he's got an engine that's unstoppable engine that never, you know, never ceases. It, it's incredible. Well, they're going to have to start talking about that maybe a little bit with Roy Val. He's got that kind of engine. Next. But to your, to, to your point, we're comparing these guys against the best in the world, and we're comparing That's the true. best in the world. To think that he won four of the five rounds, I mean, yes, kink in the armor, but kink in the armor if the armor has to be flawless and perfect, and as we know, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way to win. And the, when it comes to Covington, 
he's a good lesson that I, I, I refer to him sometimes when I talk to my kids about sports. It's like, you don't have to be the best and you can't always, con- you can't control the talent at all. But one thing that you can absolutely control is you can be the hardest hustler and trier at practice. No one can stop you from being the guy out there that wants to win the most and goes the hardest. Only you can control that. So that's the one area where you can always stand out. And Covington, uh, to your point, didn't have his best performance. Rocky Edwards handled handled him, in hindsight, relatively easy. 49-46 on all three score But Do you really want to go to that fight now, though, Ken? Because we're missing one. And we can't miss this one. Oh, I'm sorry. I will not allow us to miss this one. Um, It only take me two minutes to cover it. Which one did we miss? Josh Emmett and Bryce Mitchell. We cannot miss oh, that. Oh, I'm sorry. The first, yeah, yep, fair, fair enough. No, it's all I right. missed that in the early um, goings. Yeah, Bryce Mitchell and Josh Emmett. I mean, my God, talk about stepping in. a perfect punch. Well, you talk about highlight, highlight reel. Talk about Michael Jordan yeah. highlight reels. Highlight, highlight reel. He threw a perfect punch. Emmett threw a perfect punch, and unfortunately for Mitchell, he was moving in the exact imperfect way to lean. He stepped right into it. All his weight leaned right into all Emmett's weight, and uh, like an immovable force against a uh, immovable object against an unresistible, irresistible force. Out go the lights and uh, scary knockout. He looked like he was oh, yeah. seizing up for a minute on the canvas. Really scary scene, but he looks to be all right. I saw a video he posted on um, Instagram saying that, you know, obviously he regrets some of the strategy he employed, but um, big win for Josh Emmett and unfortunate setback for Bryce Mitchell. Yeah. Listen, I'm going to just say two quick things before I get into the... I I disagree with you in this way. He didn't walk into it he got set up into it Uh, Emmett did a marvelous job marvelous job of setting that punch up now listen punches are born not made I say it all the time and you either have that kind of power you don't Emmett's got that kind of one punch power incredible like like a wilder in with the right hand in in boxing in heavyweight division he's got that kind of power um but I always talk about it's one thing to have power. It's another thing to have the setup system or the delivery system to deliver that power. And to the credit of Emmett, he had the delivery system. He did a beautiful job just disguising that punch, really setting that punch up where he slipped his body, his upper body to the left where he took Bryce Mitchell's eyes over there with him a little bit, and then he threw the right hand from the right side. So he slips his head over to the left and throws the right hand from the right side. Beautiful setup. Distracted Mitchell just enough where he never saw it coming. Lights out. You, No matter how good your chin is, you get hit with that kind of punch where you don't see it coming, you don't have time to register in your brain, get ready for this, get ready for this earthquake, prepare yourself. If you don't, you're nobody's surviving that. And that's what he did. He did it beautifully. And what also really hurt Mitchell, and that's why the timing of Emmett was so fantastic. Mitchell had started to throw a punch. And as he was throwing a punch, Emmett beat him to it. He slipped to his left, delivered the right hand from the right side, distracted Mitchell. Mitchell's throwing a punch. His focus was on that punch. 
not on anything Evan was doing. I guarantee you, if you question Bryce Mitchell after the fact, he don't remember anything except I was throwing a punch. That's, I'm sure that's the last thing that was on the computer screen before he got the lights put out. So at the end of the day, just uh, a highlight reel, a display of why you cannot get reckless in the boxing ring or in the octagon for a split second, especially when you're in there with uh, a guy who can punch like that. Uh, you, you, your concentration, your your focus has to be at the utmost. I'm not saying that Mitchell's wasn't. I'm saying that he ran into a dynamic puncher and a guy on this particular night who had the right delivery system for that stick of dynamite. Yeah, great, great shot. Um, all right, to uh, main event. Um, Colby Covington, like I said, uh, just didn't have it this night. And Leon Edwards seems to get better with every performance. Curious to see if you th- hear if you think that it was a bad performance by Colby or a great performance by Rocky or a combination of both. But um, 49-46 on four of the five scorecards. Um, not the most exciting fight we've ever seen. I think that the um, Sean Strickland, Dreykus Duplissis uh, preview fight in the stands might have been a little bit more exciting. Uh, I say that in jest, though. <laughs> you shouldn't punch anyone outside of a cage or an octagon. But uh, plenty of fireworks. But if you're going to do it, at least do it with Manus where he did. Strickland, <laughs> he, he said, excuse me. He, uh, there was a couple yeah, of Gilbert people. Burns' family to move. Yeah, there was sitting in the seats where he had to climb over to get to the places. So he said, excuse me, uh, for one second, please. They moved over, and then he went and did what he, you know, what he wanted to do. I imagine the UFC will revisit their uh, seating policies then to put yeah, that was hard two to uh, giant tough guys, one seat apart from each other in the crowd. Well, not just tough guys, blood. but tough guys that are getting ready to fight each other. Um, yeah. I mean, you do wonder why, obviously, they were... Seen it that way. You look. There's nobody better at promoting their brand. There's nobody better at promoting not only their brand, but the fights um, than UFC. They 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 have a PhD in that. So I don't know if that was accidentally on purpose, where that seating happened to just happened to be there to maybe get something that's obviously going to make this fight even bigger now. Uh, than it was before. I don't know. Probably, I would probably say Dana White wouldn't want that because there's the risk of somebody getting hurt, not only to throw off the promotion where that fight wouldn't take place, but God forbid one of the spectators got hurt, you'd have a problem with a lawsuit. So I would probably, Dana White's too smart a businessman for that. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think that was probably. I don't know. It's hard to explain, though. He was mad at the. He was upset at the press conference. He was definitely like not happy about this. And as much as we think they shouldn't sit him next to each other, at the end of the day, you're a professional athlete, a grown man. Uh, I get that right you're in a fight, that. but control yourself. Uh, man. You're 100 like, percent right don't about a that. Fist fight in the street. You get paid to punch. You're gonna get in the cage and have 25 minutes to do whatever you want to each other. Relax, relax. Doesn't have to be bad blood. You don't have to genuinely dislike the guy. Listen, I say this, I'm not standing up for anybody, but to Strickland's defense a little bit, not not a lot, 
but because everyone's going to be on him, and I get it, but because he drew the punches, he took the initiative. But I'll say this. I know that old saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That's that, that, I'm not sure about that all the time. I, I get it. I get that old saying, but uh, DePlessis was saying some things, and I love DePlessis. I met him in person. We talked. We had a nice talk. He's not only big, he's huge, but he's not only big. I don't know how he makes that weight. And he's strong, but he's smart. He's He's a real technically really sound that's how he beat Whitaker not just being stronger but being so smart so technically you know rounded but having said that he was he was chattering away he he looked like he initiated to chatter you know um again it's not supposed to be a reason to to go and put your hands on someone just to chatter, but we know that it can be sometimes. We're human. We're, we're not pretending to be, be outside that realm of being touched by such things. So he was saying things to Strickland. You could only imagine what they were. And, um, and Strickland and him had a thing going back and forth anyway before that. So obviously that instigated it. Um, I'm not saying it's an excuse to go climb over the steps and crack the guy, <laughs> but but it is it is part of it. it. It should be said. It should be said. So anyway, getting to the fight of uh, Edwards. Look, uh, the, before I even go there, I started earlier. I'll just finish on it. Rockmanoff and Bel. Bilal Muhammad are in that class, as is Usman, as is Gilbert Burns. That's a monster class. And um, so they're all going to be looking to see who gets the next shot at a monster champion, Edwards, who we love. He's been on our show. We love him. And I love the person he is. I love the way he conducts himself, not just fights inside the ring, but the way he conducts his business, his life outside the ring or outside the octagon. I just love it. He's a guy that doesn't do any talking. It's about action for the most part. Um, he fought, you alluded to it. It wasn't a scintillating, exciting fight, but it was a very, very efficient, productive, uh, effective fight for Edwards. Not, not, a, not a, a bond burner, but he didn't want a bond burner because a bond burner would have served Covington. He wanted some way. He was in control. He was, he was, he's a concise sniper when it comes to striking. His technique is solid. He doesn't make any mistakes. Uh, he, he wanted a, a clean fight. He wanted, Covington, if you gave him a chance going in, it would be to create chaos where punches are coming from all over the place. Edwards didn't want that. Edwards wanted to have a vacuum. He wanted to fight inside a, a vacuum where he was in control, where it was about the discipline of him controlling the pace and having a better technique and having a more accurate game when it comes to striking. And he showed that. Again, very productive performance by Edwards. Covington, I said before the fight that we we did a preview of him, of that fight the week before. And I said two two question marks for me. How much is the layoff one year and nine months 
of Covington not being in an octagon, how much is that going to cause a problem? And how much was he maybe affected by that punch that he got that that he got hit with by Masvidal in the streets when he never expected it, never knew it was coming after the Masvidal fight where he had beaten Masvidal. They got into that thing. Masvidal, you know, hit him with that punch, uh, damaged him. He was hurt from that. How much did that hurt him physically or possibly even mentally to take away some of his aggression, some of his confidence? I don't know. All I know is, as the great announcers and commentators said, DC and Rogan and, and John Anik, all of them, that wasn't a Covington we expected. It was much more you know, conservative, much more controlled, much more patient, uh, much more careful. What was it? Was it the rust? Because he got better later in the fight. Was it? Did it take three rounds to get rid of some of the ring rust? Or was it partly the mental thing I touched on? Or, and I'm going to lean towards this or, or was it Edwards with that style, with his ability, be such so sharp, good counterpuncher, uh, very, like I said, very accurate, that if you make a mistake with, with Edwards and you, the old Covington, just coming in, you know, reckless, you're going to get hit. You're going to get hurt. You're going to have a problem. So was it respect for that, keeping Covington in check a little bit, that he didn't want to walk into something? I think it was partly that, maybe partly some of the other things that I touched on. At the end of the day, Edwards controls, controls him, himself, stays calm. He, he gets the fight that he wants in a vacuum. He created the fight that he wanted in a vacuum. Late in the fight, what was the fourth round? Maybe Covington started doing more, going for where yep. his strength is, the wrestling, going for takedowns, looking to change the geography around, which I thought was smart. Uh, and he did it in the fifth round too, where he could maybe get an edge on Edwards. He definitely wasn't having an edge striking, where he could take him to the mat. He did some of that. He he came awake, if you will, Covington, uh, late in the fight. Again, for a lot of people that said it was the rust, maybe they're going to say, I see the rust was starting to wear off. Whatever it was, he, he was better late, but it was too little too late. I thought Edwards won four out of the five rounds. The last round going to Covington. Uh, I think it was the last round. I've, I've made a check to myself, but I'm, I believe it was the last round, yeah, that went to Covington. Um... Just a, you know, a pretty dominant performance uh, other than those couple spots late for Edwards. Uh, I thought maybe the pride of Edwards got a little involved. He's a prideful guy. He's a quiet guy where he, he was looking to take Covington a little bit to the mat too, going into Covington's turf where he knows that's his strength. Maybe his pride got into it and he wanted to beat him at his own game a little bit. I think that that's a possibility because it became a little personal for Edwards. You know, Covington is a big talker. He does it with everybody. He promotes himself. Uh, that's part of his brand. 
and he did some. He, a lot of people thought he crossed the lines, he, and he probably did, going and talking about Edwards' father in a way that he did. And Edwards was very emotional about it. It, it exploded at the final press conference. He, he was emotional after the fight talking about it. You could see he was almost tearing up. I definitely think that emotion and pride played in a little bit for Edwards to to look to, as I said, go to Covington's turf a little bit more than maybe he should have uh, to, to kind of prove something to Covington because of the things I just touched on that were in the air with this fight, that aren't usually in the air. With this, with with a fight, at the end of the day, uh, Edwards is a class act. Uh, he really is. It, it comes across, I think, to everybody. Definitely comes across to me. Uh, and he's he's a solid, no frills guy. You know, there, there's probably not one area that you say, "Oh my God, oh my God." But there's there's a lot of areas where you say, wow, he's just solid. He There's nothing he does poorly, nothing he does bad. Really, really no weaknesses. So it's going to be very, very interesting. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see who Edwards fights next with those monsters. Like I said, I'll repeat their names. Uh, Rachmanov, uh, Muhammad, Usman, of course, would be the uh, well. It would be the fourth time he'd fight him. He he beat him twice, lost to him once. That would be the fourth time if he did fight him. And Usman looked rejuvenated, if you will, in his last fight when he he lost, but he took it on quick notice, and he gave a great performance with another monster. So Usman's right in the mix there. You can never count out Gilbert Burns in that division. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see moving forward for Edwards. But good, solid, good, solid fight. Well, it'll be interesting, too, because Bala Muhammad made weight for that. And my friend Ian Larios helped him cut the weight. And he was on weight for the fight as a backup. So, I mean, it'd be hard to skip over him. Rachmanov did look great in the fight, but... You know, I think if you get someone, you know how hard it is, Teddy, cut and wait. I mean, if you go there and make that kind of commitment, I don't know if they get paid to make weight. I think it's just like, you know, you're getting paid on the potential to get that fight. But nevertheless, will be interesting to see. One thing's for sure, whether you're cutting weight or adding weight, you should always incorporate Athletic Greens into your diet. Athletic Greens is the all-in-one green drink made from 75 whole food sourced ingredients, which is the best way to get all the vitamins and minerals you need from whole food sources. Teddy and I have been taking Athletic Greens for the last several years. I never go anywhere without it. And if you sign up today at athleticgreens.com slash atlas, They'll send you 10 free travel packs with your purchase. And the travel packs are, to me, just as important as the multi-serving bag. I take them everywhere I go. They were with me in L.A. Athleticgreens.com slash Atlas. Use the promo code Atlas to get the 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. Let's get into some boxing, Teddy. Let's start with a mega upset. Jericho O'Quinn against Peter McCreel. O'Quinn's a plus 340 favorite. He got floored twice in the fight and in the fifth round landed a bomb of a right hand, knocked out McGrail. During the fight, the commentary reminded me of, I'm trying to remember who Mickey Ward was fighting. He was fighting somewhere 
And at some point, Jim Lampley was like, you can, ref, you can stop the fight at any point because it looked like Mickey was getting the crap beaten out of him. And he landed that one body shot and turned it around, ended the fight and won. And that's what I was thinking about when I was watching this um, O'Quinn fight because he was getting outclassed in every area until he threw that shot. How'd you like it? Well, it's a reminder that when you step in that ring, you have to have full focus. I was touching on it earlier. You have to have full focus, concentration. You can't take anything for granted. I'm taking nothing away at all from what O'Quinn did. Spectacular. But McGraw took something for granted, which, again, it's you're not supposed to do that. He's a southpaw. He looked great. He was having it all his way. Quick feet, in and out, quick hands. Not a big puncher, really, but dominating O'Quinn. O'Quinn was coming off, I think, a knockout loss. So credit to him that he was able to exercise the demons and get in the ring and take this kind of fight after, I I think it was his last fight or the fight before, whatever, but recently he got knocked out. Uh, credit to O'Quinn, and, and I'm happy for him. Uh, he, he had been dropped in a fight. Twice. You know, yeah, he'd been dropped in a fight twice. Uh and Miguel got to the place where, being that he wasn't a puncher, he was still there in front of him. Otherwise, he probably would have got rid of him already. And he was taking O'Brien for granted. Uh, he came in with O'Quinn. Yeah, taking O'Quinn uh, for granted. And um, Miguel came in, came in with the jab and a straight left from a southpaw position. He'd been landing that easily. All night, he threw the straight left. A little difference. Nobody pointed this out. But it landed, but it didn't land clean because on this one, it was from a little too far away, and O'Quinn kind of pulled back on it uh, to take something off it where it didn't really affect him, obviously. It didn't land the way the other ones were landing. And when he did that, that split second after that, you have to move your head. You you can't take a picture, as I always say. You know, if you're the guy delivering the punch, as McGraw was, you you can't stand there. And he stood there. And as he stood there, I think he started then to throw something else on the right side. But he was, you could say he was admiring his work. But really what he was doing was, again, he was taken for granted that there was nothing to worry about. And when you're in a ring, there's always something to worry about. You should never forget that. I want you calm. I want you cool and collected. I want you to see as much as you can see in there by being calm and relaxed. But never get comfortable to the place where you think there's no danger. You, you should never get to that place. And he got to that place. It doesn't happen too often, but he really did. And bang, the southpaw killer. O'Quinn threw the right hand on the southpaw, landed it flush on the button, and that was all she wrote. Just like that, from from having a magnificent night, you had a a terrible night. You know, from having a great dream, you went flat into a nightmare. So uh, that was it. You never lose your focus. Well, no matter what you do in life, especially if, uh, you know, especially if you're doing something dangerous, 
Do not lose your focus. <laughs> and Miguel lost his focus, and because of that, he lost the fight. Yep. Well, another Brit goes down to another Mexican uh, in a one-sided beatdown. 23-year-old Bam Rodriguez moves to 19-0, stops Sonny Edwards. In between the ninth and 10th round, Edwards' corner rightfully stopped the fight one second into the 10th. Um, two noble warriors. I like both these guys. I thought they did just enough talking to hype the fight. Beautiful scene after the fight. Bam Rodriguez brings the... Um, Bring Sonny Edwards' his belt back into his locker room as Sonny's getting stitched up. They had a nice exchange, talked about potentially sparring together, helping each other get better. It was just refreshing to see two guys go to war, try to kill each other, and then recognize that this is just a, po a professional sport. There's no genuine animosity. It doesn't have to be, at least. And uh, yeah, another, uh, like I said, another Brit. Goes down to a Mexican. It's been a theme this year. A lot of Brits uh, losing at home to Mexicans this year. How'd you like that fight? Well, you're trying to upset my brothers and sisters across the pond. You must have said it five <laughs> times. I think they got it the first time. I'm trying time. to light a fire under their I asses. I think they got it the it's first time. It's a good rivalry. <laughs> I think they got it the first time, Ken. You didn't have to, to, to bludgeon them over the head. My, my British well, Now fans, they're definitely coming after me. My British fans that I love over there. I mean, crumpets for you. Crumpets for you. Um, <laughs> or I should say no crumpets for you. Yeah, listen. <laughs> First of all, the corner stopped it. I don't know if they stopped it. See, I'm going to go where nobody yeah, goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that they I'm going to go where nobody like goes. Like he might have said. Yeah, I think yeah. Edward stopped it. And to his credit. I do too. I'll tell you something. I never saw a kid more honest than him. He came out on his Facebook, whatever that is. He put out a thing out there uh, that's out there um, on, on Twitter, you know, on social media where he apologized to his fans uh, for letting them down and said, you know, I, I had to think of the future. I was so beat up. I was seeing double vision. I, you know. Uh, yeah, I think he had a broken words, orbital bone too. Yeah, he did. I mean, really. And he, he basically said, I, I, I stopped it. I, I hate to use the word quit with a guy like him, but he, he's basically saying, I, I told him to stop. Now, we never would have known that if he didn't say it. Never. I didn't know it. I just thought the corner stopped it. He And then when I went back and looked at it in the corner, I could see him talking to the corner. And then the corner... Yeah, you could see the corner ask him. Yeah. And then the corner turns to the ref. He's such an honest kid. What an honest fighter. What an honest kid to say that. Now, look. I'm going to fault the corner. I know they love him and everything. I'm sure they do. A corner should never let a fighter get to that place. You got a warrior in there. This kid's yeah. a warrior. He's a warrior. That's a very good point, Teddy. He That's is performing like a fighter should perform. That you pray that a fighter would perform like. Like uh, going out on a shield. You shouldn't let him go out on a shield. You should not let a fighter with that heart and fighting that way that he did. The way that you would, again, wish that a fighter would fight in, in that kind of situation where everything's against him and he's taken a terrible beating, you should never let him get cornered into a place where he's got to be the one to say that's enough. You should do that. That's your job to make sure he never has to do that. So that's that's the first thing I want to say. Um, this was uh, a good fight. Rodriguez, both undefeated. Rodriguez to Southpaw, 
he was the aggressor, but then all of a sudden, Edwards started fighting with him. You could say Edwards fought a dumb fight. He stayed. He fought in front of the bigger, stronger, better puncher that Rodriguez is. Edwards, you could say, didn't again didn't fight a smart fight. Just fought a gallant fight, standing in front of uh, Rodriguez, who's who's definitely the puncher in this fight. Edwards was twenty and zero going in four knockouts. Rodriguez was eighteen and 11 knockouts going in. Um, but I don't think it's that simple. I don't think it's so simple that Edwards just fought a stupid fight uh, and a courageous fight only. I think he started off trying to use his legs and his jab, his speed, which is what got him to 20-0. and 0. And, But I don't think he felt like he could keep Rodriguez from coming and coming and coming unless he stood with him in spots. And then I think it, it it's kind of one of those things where once he did that, he was too far in. It was like getting in quicksand. You couldn't get out. That that he had to stand with him a little bit to kind of hold him from just walking him down and, and just being too aggressive for him. So he stood with him to try to get his respect, to try to, you know, to, to slow him down. And then it took something out of him. And then he got trapped where he couldn't do anything else. He, he, he couldn't box and move like a Muhammad Ali when he was young for, for 12 rounds. And so... He did things that looked stupid, which was, you know, slug it out with a guy that's the better slugger, if you will. You know, what do I say all the time? You know, you you don't you don't go into a gun battle with when when you got a slingshot and other guy's got a Gatling gun, and that's kind of what he did. <laughs> that's that's kind of what he did. You know, he he went into that kind of battle. Um, and he came in second because of it. He got broken down, dismantled piece by piece as the fight. The first four rounds were really competitive. Great rounds. But then after the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and then the final round of ninth, the, the high tide was coming in, as I also say. Uh, the, the tide was coming into the shore. And there ain't no stopping the tide. When the ocean's coming in, I don't care what kind of sandcastle you built, it's getting knocked <laughs> over. It's getting knocked over. And that tide was Mr. Rodriguez. And, and you know what? In the future, it might not be a good idea to get into a slugfest with a fighter who's nicknamed Bam Bam. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> if it's, right, Ken? His nickname? Who are you fighting? I'm <laughs> fighting. Say. I'm fighting Bam Bam. I'm gonna box. I'm gonna stay away from Bam Bam, and I'm gonna move all night long and not let Bam 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 me. And he did. He he got Bam Bam. Uh, credit to Rodriguez. Not only how strong he is and how tough he is, how he's there, and Edwards tough too. Both of them. Uh, and not only that he's a better puncher, but he was prepared. His trainer did a good job preparing him with the fight plan. And I'll tell you where. Two areas. One, he went to the body of Edwards, which took something out of Edwards. And two, he used his jab. He's got a long jab. And the long jab kept the boxer from boxing. It kept Edwards from pot shotting and controlling the outside you know, area which he had to control. He had to control that outside area to pot shot, move around, in and out. Rodriguez's jab kept him from doing that. It stabilized him. I think that was the difference. When when that jab started hitting him, Edwards said, you know what? 
I can't box the way I want to. I'm going to have to fight with this guy to keep this guy from overrunning me. And he got, like I said, it got away from him. He took too much damage. He got too far in. He couldn't get out of it. And the rest is history. Uh, Rodriguez, Rodriguez uh, you know, broke him down piece by piece. And finally, in the ninth round, delivered the, you know, the 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 final punch. I think it was the ninth round, uh, where he landed that big left hand from the southpaw position. He set it up beautifully with a with a jab to the body, dropped the eye level of Edwards, and then bang, big left hand up top uh, towards the end of the round that dropped him. That was I, I want to make sure I'm accurate. It was the ninth round, I believe, right? Yeah. At the end of the, right as the 10th was starting, they waved it off. So I think the official score was one second into the 10th round. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And again, he dropped him with that big southpaw left hand uh, where he put everything into it, set him up with a little jab to the body. And from the fourth round on, you know, he, um, he just, you know, fifth round, I would say. From the fifth round on, he just was dismantling Edwards, uh, controlling him. With the jab and just placing his shots really well to the to the head and body, and he also mixed in some counter punching. Uh, he showed me a, he showed me a lot more than just a tough, strong guy, Ramirez uh, Rodriguez. He he showed me a pretty complete fighter. Yep. Let's move to the um, a guy you've been super high on since he turned pro, David Morrell, that card. But I want to start with the undercard and work our way up to the main event. So let's talk first about Robert Guerrero in against Andre Berto. Uh, they fought 11 years ago. Berto hasn't fought in five years, and it looked like it from the fight. That's um, a different card. Robert That's Guerrero. not forget. That was the Showtime Oh, it's not card. the same card? No. Oh, sorry. No, it's all right. Well, let's work our but way that's up, But let be accurate here. That was... That was the Showtime card, and it was their final card of their 37-year history. 37 years, this was Showtime going off the air. Well, like I said, uh, Robert Guerrero beats Andre Berto 99-91, 98-92 on two of the three scorecards. Yep. Yep. Uh, like I said, first fight in five years for Andre yep. Berto. It looked like that. Um, other than these two guys getting a payday, I don't know what the purpose of this fight was. Didn't really... I wasn't remotely interested. I did wasn't exciting at all. What'd you think? Well, I would I would um second that notion very very easily to be honest. But I'll go a little further, which I have the habit of doing, and I'll say that this was Exhibit A of why Showtime's going out of business. Thirty seven years they're going out of business, and they're doing it because. They stopped putting good fights on or competitive fights, one-sided fights. And they they allowed, the head people there, allowed fights to be dictated by one guy. You know, whoever, uh, by one person, that's what most of them do. They got a promoter. And the promoter wants to, for the most part, usually put his guys that he controls with contracts in favorably to keep them going. The problem with that is that while you're doing that, you're going to get non-competitive fights. Every once in a while, you're going to get a good one, but you're going to get non-competitive fights. No different than what's going on with top rank uh, when when it comes to a lot of their fights. 
And to put this show on and to start it or to, you know, to, uh, with, and to have two 40-year-old guys, it was a rematch, but two 40-year-old guys who haven't, they fought last, I think, 11 years ago. They fought each other. Uh, Guerrero had won that fight. He also won this fight. But it's just unfathomable how on your last show going off the air, you put this on. I mean, they shouldn't have been in the ring. I was worried about Berto. Thank God he's in there with another diminished guy because he's got no legs left. He's a shot fighter, very game fighter, former world champion. Uh, terrific. I love Berto. He's an Olympian, everything. But he shouldn't be fighting anymore. You can see his legs are gone. The only thing that saved him was Guerrero was also deteriorated to the point where the two of them really couldn't hurt each other, you know, because it was like they were fighting on a boat and, and they're wobbling around on the boat. So every time you try to get hit the guy, you miss him. You know, with a, you try to hit him with a clean punch, you miss him. And that, that kind of saved them from getting hurt. Uh, especially Berto. I, I, I don't want to really beat a dead horse, but I'm gonna a little bit. You, what is the excuse for putting this on, especially in your fight that you're going, you're going off the air after 37 years where you had some great fights? Like Marvin Hagler and Mugabe, your first fight ever on Showtime, you know, 37 years ago. I think that was your first fight. But to put this on, it it is really proof of why you're going off the air. You just haven't been managed properly. You really haven't. And at least not recently. So I think rather than this fight, for that particular fight or slot, they should have put movies on, old movies. Uh, there's two in particular. One would be Grudge Match with Stallone and De Niro. Do you ever see that? It was a comedy. <laughs> uh, this was a comedy. The only thing that wasn't a comedy was that they could get hurt. That That's not a comedy. But putting this on, Stallone and De Niro in the grudge, there were two, you know, old-time fighters that were shot, and they they got in the ring in, in late age to settle a grudge. The other one that I would possibly put in there, the other movie would be Grumpy Old Men. That that was another, what was that, Walter Matthau and, and I think Lemon. Uh, that 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 would have fit in there too. Either one of them would have been better watching and safer watching than to watch this fight. At the end of the day, I, I don't know that I need to say anything more about it. Uh, it was it was it, it bothered me to to obviously to watch the fight and to think that. The people that get paid millions of dollars to be the head of the network or, or head of boxing there actually would, you, his judgment would tell him that this 
that this fight made sense to put on. Uh, and then the only thing that bothered me more than the, the fight was really when the ring when one of the commentators actually said, and I'm going to call him out. I don't I don't care. Really, it's no. I don't know how he says it. I know he's been around forever, uh, but he says that it was a firefight and a flashback to their fight 11 years ago. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, really? Are you serious? A firefight? What? Maybe if they would throw matches at each other. Maybe. <laughs> you know what I mean, Ken? You know, maybe yeah. that. Maybe is that what he meant? Really? I, I'm, I get pissed off. Are you kidding me? You, there's shilling and there's shilling. That's absurd. That's stupid. That is just stupid. And uh, that's where the grumpy old men come in. Because I guess I'm being a grumpy old man and I'd rather watch that than, than <laughs> not only watch this, but have somebody tell me it's a firefight and it's, <laughs> it's reminiscent of their first fight. You know, uh, flashbacks. Well, the network's going out of the air, going off the air. Yeah. I don't know why you have to shill for this fight. Just tell the truth. We can see what we can see what's going on. I, I mean, that would be like comparing the Alamo to 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 a paintball contest. Yeah, yeah, you you your kids go and play paintball. You know, in a, <laughs> a paintball arena. You're you're not gonna no. call that the Alamo. I mean. You're gonna well, oh my goodness, I'm getting a headache. Yeah. You're gonna call this <laughs> you're gonna call this a firefight? I uh, I don't know. Anyway, um I may be wrong here, but I think that the that fight the Berto fight, the Chris Colbert Valenzuela fight were the supporting fights for the main event, which was David Morrell on Showtime. That's what I that's what I thought i wrote that's what i thought i watched but i there were so many fights on i could be wrong no but I no think no all these cards no, no, no. the same cards no 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 let's get it right it's okay but Go let's ahead. get it right this is what Show, i think yeah showtime was was berto yeah and and it was uh also uh no you're right valenswell and colbert you're right valenswell and morell and, um, and Morel was the main event. Yeah, it was it Morel? Yeah, Morel. You're right. Yeah. All right. All right. No problem. Yeah. So let's move on to the uh, fight I was dying to see: Val Val Venezuela, Valenzuela against Chris Colbert. I loved this fight only because this was the fight. If fans remember that it was a very close decision, they end up giving it to Colbert, 95-94 in all three scorecards. I would have bet all the tea in China after the fight that Valenzuela won. I thought he controlled the action. Nevertheless, they gave it to Colbert. Colbert sticking his tongue out after Valenzuela was clearly pissed off, and he's like, "Man, I won that fight." Chris Colbert, less than sportsmanlike, sticks his tongue out at him, mocks him, taunts him. So in the buildup to the fight, they're exchanging words at a press conference, and uh, Valenzuela says, I'll bet you, f oh, I don't know who presented the bet, but they bet 50000 that Valenzuela couldn't knock him out. Well, sure is, sure enough, Valenzuela beat the living crap out of Chris Colbert for, I believe he got the stoppage in the sixth round. Beat him up for five, finally knocked him out, knocked him through the ropes, like, out cold, see you later. 
And Colbert, even after the fight, when Valenzuela couldn't have been more of a gentleman, he's like, look, the fight, there's no bet. It was childish. We shouldn't do that. We're professionals. Great fight. Thank you. I love you and your trainers. Thanks for the opportunity. And Colbert was just like, no, no, no. We're one and one. Run it back. Run it back. And all I could think was like, how much worse can someone get beaten? Usually if you call for a rematch, it's somewhat close. This fight wasn't even close. I love seeing uh, justice served. Uh, you want to treat people poorly and talk like that, you got to get in there and defend yourself. That's the beauty of fighting, and uh, Valenzuela put it on him real good. So fifth-round knockout, uh, Valenzuela over Chris Colbert. How'd you like that fight? It was a one-sided fight, but it had a spectacular knockout. As far as just to pick up where you started and where you just left off, as far as the behavior of the fighters, a, a lot of, I mean, quite frankly, a lot of people have gotten to where they don't like Colbert or they don't like someone who behaves that way. There's better ways to behave than the way he was. And look, all these kids, they're young. They make mistakes. I'm not making it right or wrong. Uh, but uh, there's got to be some responsibility for the people around them. To tell them, hey, you, you know what? It's not the best idea to talk this way or to act. It's really not. But um, unfortunately, uh, guys like Colbert, they don't have the right people around them where they just got people that want to go along to get paid and, and they go along with them. But you know what? You wouldn't do that with your kid. I hope you wouldn't raising a kid. Well, when you're training someone, you have the same responsibilities when you're raising a kid. You have to tell them things they, they don't like sometimes. Tell them things that are actually for their benefit down the road to make them better people as well as better fighters. You have to correct them. You have to keep them in check. And otherwise, you're not, you're not doing your job the right way. You know, and you're not really a friend because a friend's going to tell you something you don't want to hear sometimes to make you better. So, again, it comes down to the person, the responsibility of the person. But a lot of these kids need better people around them. Not, not just people that tell them, throw a left, throw a right, go to the body, uh, do your road work, hit the bag. No, people that tell them more than that. And again, things you don't want to hear sometimes. So I'm, I'm not defending Colbert, but I'm saying I don't think he had the right people around. And having said that, he behaved like you don't want someone to behave. The way he talked and the way he acted and, and all of that. And a lot of these kids think that's promoting themselves. They think that you're going to make more money if you're the bad guy. If, if you're the guy that's, you know, that's got that kind of... Uh, reputation. You're gonna make more money. It's they should stop thinking that way. They and they really should. And just be a fighter. Just be a fighter. And you don't have to be all these other things. You really don't. Or if you want to get out of character and you're not interested, and you're looking at something after fighting. How about be funny? Be a be an actor. Be presentable. Why do you have to go down this heel role and be a villain? And you don't have to use the words that Colbert was using in the pre-fight stuff. I would never use that word. Uh, I don't have the right to use that word. I, I never have... I, I've never been inclined to even want to hear that word that, that he uses. But people use it. And he's used that word. He think it is, again, he thinks it's going to give him a certain image. The only image you should worry about is the image that you believe you are. That's inside you. Try, don't try to be something else. Be what's inside you. Find out what's inside you because that's what's going to show up in the ring. 
That's what's going to should be concentrated on because that's going to show up sooner or later. That's Valenzuela. I just described Valenzuela to a T. He's not about to talk. He's not about that crap. He's not about it. And he's not a great, great, great talent. He's a tough kid that throws a lot of punches. That's very game. Can punch a little bit. He's a pretty good puncher. Uh, he's a kid that that is just an honest, decent kid who doesn't talk about people, doesn't care about that stuff. He just cares about trying to be as good a fighter as he can be. And he's he is accomplishing that mission. He really is. And he got robbed the first time he fought Colbert. Colbert was the house fighter. He got robbed against the house. It happens all the time, unfortunately, in my business, in this business. But he he didn't cry about it. He said that he got robbed. He came back. He got the rematch. And give credit to Colbert. He gave him the rematch. I want to give credit to Colbert. Give him credit for giving him the rematch. He came back and he took care of business. Before I go into the breakdown of the fight, which is not much, really, because it was a one-sided beatdown. It really was. Uh, the fight could have easily been stopped in the first round. Colbert took a terrible beating in the first oh, yeah. round, where it was a 10-8, maybe even a 10-7 round. A terrible beating in the first round. Uh, easily could have been stopped, but it wasn't. But he took a beating throughout the fight. But he showed heart. He showed heart. He tried to battle back. He he was in there with the better guy, a guy that just overwhelmed him. And before I go further with this, to your point, when Colbert after you know after Valenzuela showed how class he is, and he is a class kid. I have to root for this kid from now on. He is a class kid. No matter what happens to him in the future, I'm rooting for him. And when he said, forget about the $50,000 bet, most people wouldn't do that. Forget about that. You don't owe me none. Just have a good life. Just take care of yourself. Just He was just being such a decent person. And then Colbert, as you said, Colbert didn't make himself look good by saying what he said. But let me tell you something. Here's an excuse for Colbert, and it's legitimate. He was concussed. He, and again, and again Ken, I agree. The fourth of the corner. They shouldn't have let him go over there. They should have grabbed him and said, come here, son. Put their arm around him, gave him a kiss on the forehead, and said, son, stay here. But they should have done that a long time ago. So the boat is, That's right. the ship has sailed on that. But they should have. But they're not that, they're not, the, he's got a trainer named what, Sosa, whatever his name. Obviously, he's not, obviously, he's not interested in being that person. Because that's what he should have done. Stay here, son. And and what does he do? He walks over there, makes it. Well, he looks stupid. He walks over and says, "We're one and one now. Let's run it back." One and one. You just got uh, knocked out to the point where we were scared. We were actually that's scared. Right. Actually, that's I a good uh, point. He was uh, unconscious through the ropes on his face. And and you're gonna say run it back again? A lot of people are laughing at him. They are. They're out there laughing, saying, you know, whatever. Don't laugh at him. He was concussed. He shouldn't have been even allowed to go over there and and talk that way. He really shouldn't have. That, that was his handler's job, not to let that happen. As far as the fight, he got blitzed in the first round. Valenzuela knew. And what condition Valenzuela was in? Because I was, I was thinking he's going to punch himself out. He didn't. 
I yeah. was thinking, oh my God, because he threw a million punches in that first round trying to get rid of Colbert. And to Colbert's credit again, he, he survived. He showed a lot of heart. But he's a guy that was never as good as they built him up to be. Never. He was never as good as they built him up to be. I never saw it. I never saw him improve. He was too easy to find. He was one-dimensional. He was always in front of you. I just didn't see what these commentators on on Showtime, when he was coming up, what they were saying. Oh, he's the next great this or that. I'm comparing him to Shakur Stevenson. What, are you kidding me? Are you <laughs> kidding me? I'm not a great fan of Shakur Stevenson, but he's an elite fighter, and he's proven it. He's shown it. By fighting those guys, he hadn't even got close to fighting anyone to show that. And they were they were talking like he was the future of the of the of the game, much less the division. It was it was embarrassing. And those commentators, how they could how they could say that, but they said it, they said it, and and it goes to it goes to another point why they're going out of business, because I like Al Heyman. I, I like the PBC, and he takes care of his fighters. I like him, but and I think his idea is right, but it gets lost in, somewhere in the execution of it. His idea is right to take care of but the execution gets lost. He needs to hire a talent evaluator. I saw him put too many years into building up these kids that weren't as good as they they were saying they were. They Colbert is one. There was another kid, Joey Spencer. He was another one. And and I and and I'm watching them get built up. And these commentators are saying how great they are. And I'm saying to myself, as soon as he fights somebody, he's gonna get destroyed. I I don't see what they're saying. I understand why they're saying it, because they're shilling. But at the end of the day, it's gonna come out in a wash. It, it, you can't show forever. It's gonna come out. And then, and then you're going to look like an idiot. And you're going to have put in two years, three years, whatever, of developing a fighter that you should have been developing somebody else. That at the end of those two, three years, you have something on your network that is actually have a value. That's part of the reason why this guy Espinosa, who was in charge of all that, he was the wrong guy. He, he was the wrong guy. But... Look, they had a long run. Got, I don't. No one else would say this, and and thank God I'm not looking for a job. Thank God I ain't looking for a job <laughs> because that's not the best way to get a job. It's not. I understand. <laughs> I don't have to read a handbook on how to get a job, how not to get a job, how to get. I I understand it, but what I don't understand is Al Heyman's a smart guy, been a successful guy. He's going over to Amazon now with PBC, with his guys, which, good, God bless him. Boxing needs another outlet. They need another network. But he's going over there, and who did he hire to go with him? Espinosa. Are you kidding me? That's, what? I, I, I mean, that's one guy I'm not hiring to go over to a new place. I when, don't think that this... When I was basic, I basically, I basically got kicked, I got kicked out of this place, or I... I I overstayed my welcome in this place, right? It didn't go good because of what I just said. So we had to find another place. I'm going to take the same guy with me to the new place. That is the reason why I got kicked out of the old place. What were you going to say, Ken? I'm sorry. I, 
I don't know that there's a more disliked personality in the sport. I don't think, I mean, with the exception of Al Heyman, all you ever hear about Espinosa from fighters, from managers is negative. I mean, to the point where during the Mayweather um, Conor McGregor buildup, Conor McGregor is calling him an effing weasel no, right terrible. to his face on stage at a no, press conference. No, Someone calls you a weasel in front of public like that. You really only have one choice. Start swinging. How much disrespect can you take? It's just, anyway, that'll be interesting to see what happens. From what I hear, though, it's just simply a platform deal, meaning you could put the fights on our platform, but there's no compensation. But you never know how these deals work behind the scenes. But that's what I was hearing. No, no, you're right. But whatever it is, you're, you're bringing him with you? Come on. I mean, really? I mean, you're not going to yep. be there long. And, and the other thing is... <laughs> When you just brought out about Espinosa not being liked by anyone, and I, I agree. I haven't heard one good word said about, but it comes down to one thing. You said personality, and I get it. I understand what you're saying. But for me, it's, it's a different word, character. He's got no character. He don't yes. keep his word. Yep. He lies to people. I, I mean, from, from everything that I've witnessed, whatever. Uh, he's been very successful. He's made a lot of money. I, I'm sure he doesn't give two flying you-know-what about what Teddy Atlas is saying about him <laughs> because, you know, uh, his bank account is still going to be nice and solid. Uh, Fido, to put a bow on it, he stepped back straight in the seventh round, big no-no. Again, something that he wasn't taught in the gym. He stepped straight back, and what does Valenzuela do? He does what a fighter does, a real fighter. He followed him. He's a southpaw Valenzuela. He followed him with a right hook, and he nailed him stepping straight back with that right hook, and he knocked him cold. Um, it was reminiscent of a punch that's still in my head, making the same mistake, but it was made by a much better fighter than Colbert. It was made by a fighter that was a champion in his own right back in the day, Donald Curry. He stepped straight back against Mike McCollum, the body snatcher, who was a great champion. He stepped straight back with his hands down, you never do it. It's a big no-no. You don't do that. And he got caught with a hook, stepping straight back. McCollum knocked him cold. This was similar to that, but a lower level of fighters. Yep, and now getting on to the main event, a guy, like I said earlier, you've been high on this guy since he turned pro. Uh, I don't think anyone's been more supportive of his career and his potentials than you, and obviously you're not a guy that bangs a drum and makes a lot of noise, but you have definitely been on this kid for a long time. He fought, um, sorry, Senna Agbiko uh, from Ghana, but lives in Nashville, interestingly enough. The yeah. Ghana, Ghana fighters are always tough and always listen, athletic. Listen, listen, um, let me tell you one thing about Agbeko. He shouldn't have been in a ring with him. But, but this is what I'm going to say. A great human being, a kid that the American story comes from Africa, comes over here, doesn't have anything, nobody really giving him anything. He just he's gonna become a fighter. He becomes a fighter. He gets he loses a fight early in his career, builds himself back up with five, six, seven straight wins, whatever it was. Uh and then he gets back to a platform where he wins a big fight and then he gets this fight. But he shouldn't have been should not have been in a ring well. But what a stellar human being. He's a winner. I, I don't know what's going to happen the rest of his life in boxing. Where else is he going? But I'm going to tell you, and you never hear Teddy Atlas say this uh, in this kind of context yeah, because I don't have a reason to. You will hear me say it. I'll say things that people don't like to hear if I think that there's a context for it, a reason for it. 
Even though this kid, people say, what do we want to hear about Agbeko for? He just got blown out. I'm telling you, yeah, he got blown out not as a human being. He got blown out as a fighter who shouldn't have been in with this special talent at that time. But this kid is a winner. I've met him. I've talked to him. He, he's a special human being. Uh, I, my money's on him. That he's gonna, he's he's gonna whether it's in boxing or somewhere else, he's gonna find his success, um, which he's already found as a human being. Go ahead, let's let's do morale. Morale is a Cuban fighter that comes from that great Cuban heritage of great amateur fighters from that island, uh, where they they've developed a lot of future world champions when they come over here and they escape from the communist regime over there where they can fight that you can't fight pro over there obviously but uh they've had the greatest amateur team over there for the last i don't know how many years 40 years whatever but morale was 25 years old he was 9 and 0, eight knockouts going in and again uh it, it was it, uh, it was a no contest you know it's a no contest when Moreau, when the fighter could be fighting somebody in the first round, could actually be fighting him. And as he's fighting, he's looking out and talking to somebody, having a conversation in the audience. That, that, oh, man. I, I, I don't I like it. When guys no, no, do I don't like, like it. This. But I think that this kid, Moreau, is, is not that. I really think he's a decent kid. I, he's a likable kid. He's a humble enough kid, even though he's so talented. It's hard to be humble when you're that talented. But he's a humble kid. He's a gracious kid. He he showed me class. He he showed me empathy for the opponent, the way that he treated Agbeko before, before and after. I think he's a decent kid. But that, that shows you that he's not in a fight that's going to make him any better. If you could be fighting the guy and talking to someone out there, that fight ain't making you better. Having said that, he's a guy who's won a world title, kind of like a Lomachenko, kind of like a Rick and Diaw. <laughs> Uh, after just a very short amount of fights, he just like Lomachenko, just like Rigondeau, those were special fights. I think this guy's special. He's got a lot of road to plow, but I think he's a special guy. And where it starts, it starts with his pedigree, his his history from Cuba. Maybe that's part of it, that what he's learned there, what he's gone through there, what how that's impacted his life. Also, the pride that these Cuban fighters take with them to be champions, to be great fighters, the the amount of experience that they have, enormous amount of experience with top fighters, you know, in the Olympics, everything else. He's had all that and success. He's had all that. When you have all that, you have confidence. Great confidence. I see it. It shows it shines out like a like a shiny moon, you know, uh, on one of those nights where the moon just shines in the sky. His confidence shines in that ring. That he's got what Cuss used to talk about, supreme confidence. Cuss told me there was two guys that he saw that had that. Sugar Ray Robinson, some people think the greatest fighter of all time, and Muhammad Ali, some people think the greatest heavyweight of all time. They had it, but they were tested with great fighters. Morell hasn't been tested with great fighters yet. We're gonna find out if he's how great he he is and can be as he moves forward, fighting really much better competition than he's fought so far. But so far, 
So good. If, if, if he was a stock, you'd buy the stock. I, I'm taking 100 shares of that stock. And, <laughs> and where I see it, I see it in his calmness, his confidence, because he's calm in an uncalm environment. He sees everything in that ring. He sees so much he could talk to someone outside the ring. And I know that had to do with the level of opponent. I understand that. But he sees things that other people don't see. He sees that only fighters like Crawford sees, where he, he slows things down and he, and he doesn't miss anything. That's number one. Confidence, number two. And then it comes to this, physical size and power. He is physically strong. He's a good puncher, very good puncher, and he's big. He's got a big frame, and he's long. And so he's got all the physical attributes to really be great if he's great up here. And I think he has the potential, or maybe more than the potential, I think he has the head start to be great up here already. We're, we're just going to find out when he fights better fighters. And they're going to have to start doing it soon because he's not going to gain anything fighting this level. He's not. He's going to have to fight better guys. Now, he wants to fight better guys. Talk about that supreme confidence. He, he wants, thank God he's not the manager. Really. Because real fighters should not be the managers. Because they'll fight anybody. They'll fight Godzilla. Yeah, bring Godzilla on. Bring him on. Come on. Come on. After I get done with him, have King Kong in the bullpen. I want him next. That, that's, that's what a fighter with a real attitude of a fighter, that's how they think. But he's talking about Benavides. He don't need to fight Benavides yet. Now, Benavides don't need to fight him. I will tell you right now, if Benavides was to fight him now, no matter how much Morel calls him out, his manager should be arrested for malpractice. <laughs> because there's, yeah, there's nothing from the- I don't think there is such a thing in boxing. There's nothing to be gained. There's nothing to be, it's business. It's like they, like what's his name said in the Godfather? It's not personal, it's business. There's nothing to be gained. There is a business side to it. There's nothing to be gained by Benavides, who I love. He's terrific. Uh, I, I want to see him fight Canelo to see who's the number one 168-pounder. Uh, Morrell wants to do that too, but he's got to fight better guys. Canelo and Benavides have earned the right to be called the best because they fought the best so far. Uh, and, and now Canelo, if he wants to be the best in 168, he's got to fight Benavides. But again, Benavides should have no part of Morrell. Not yet. Let Morrell prove himself. Let him fight some guys and win at that level. Let him do two things. Let him not only prove himself and, and earn it, but let him become more known where you can make money fighting him. Right now, the reason I say that the manager for Benavides should get arrested for malpractice if he ever even thought about fighting Morrell right now is you can't get paid with Morrell. Nobody knows him for the most part except boxing insiders. You can't get paid. He hasn't gotten to that place yet. Let him get to that place. Right now is all risk, no reward for Benavides. Let Morrell get better. Let him show that he belongs at that level and let him get known. 
All right, one last fight card, one last boxing match to discuss. And by the way, Morel going into that was a minus $2,500 favor, rightfully so. By the way, if Agbeko, Agbeko, if he um, sees this, he lives in Nashville, I'd love to get in touch with him and see if there's anything that I can help him with. If anyone hears this or he sees it, reach out on Instagram. I'd love to talk to him if he's in town. Well, last fight, um, our good friend and former guest of the show, Jake Paul keeps the train rolling, gets a first-round knockout over a pro boxer, 10-1, Andre August. Look, I think that there's a bunch of things I want to talk about here. First, Jake's performance, but then I want to talk to you about the manufactured record that this kid could come in, that they built him up to 10-1, and and at light heavy to only have five knockouts in 10 wins. Your first 10, usually with a prospect that's really good at 10-0, and He's got eight or nine knockouts because he's been put in with the right guys. So this is just an interesting phenomenon in boxing that you have a guy 10 and one comes in there, look to be scared to death from the from the jump. And I'm not trying to take anything away from Jake, but Andre August just didn't look like he was ready to be in there. And Jake behaved accordingly and hit him with an uppercut, knocked him clean out. Um, what'd you think of the performance and um, speak to the, the ability of someone to get a 10 and one record and have seemingly that little skill? I could get you 10-1. and one. That, That's all I need to tell you. All right, now, because you go out west, you go to the right places, you pay for the fights, and you build a guy's record up. Yeah, that's how it works. That's partly how it works. Um, and you can build up anybody. You can indict a ham sandwich. You can build up a fighter uh, to any record you want uh, if you know what you're doing and if you have the resources to do it and you go to the right place to do it. All right, that's enough on that. In this kid's case, in this case, kid's case, it looks like it actually paid off because my first reaction was to say, what's the, what's even the sense of building up a kid who really isn't that good, but he got the payday against Jake? Yeah, but the warning signs were there if you really look like I do. I look deep. I I knew. I I. I called. Oh, one one quick thing. Hold on, one one quick thing. When we were talking about this in the chat, me, you, and Rob Moore, our super producer, we was, I said, oh, the kid's ten and one or something to that effect, and you immediately said Jake's gonna win by knockout. The kid's gonna get destroyed, and I was like, damn, that's a bit aggressive. The kid has ten professional fights. Is Teddy crazy? That's a strong opinion, and exactly what you said happened. So. I should have known not to even have a flicker of doubt, but you called this exactly, and we have the receipts if anyone doesn't believe us. No, to be exact, he's got 12 fights. He's 10-1-1, and his one loss tells you everything you need to know. He got knocked out by a 3-3 and opponent, okay? So his one loss, see, I look deep. His one loss, August, that is, he got knocked out by a 3-3. and Look, Jake Paul is improving. He's getting calmer in his arena, in his arena. Now it's his arena now. He's become a fighter. Yeah, he has. I know a lot of people get mad at Teddy Atlas for saying, oh, Teddy, come on. That's that's blasphemous. You're saying that this YouTuber, no, he's a fighter now. Yeah, I know he picks his spots smart and all that stuff. Who do, who doesn't try to do that? He would be an idiot if he didn't. The best, the best but, champions in the world control their opponents if they can. But he still got, gets in the cauldron in the furnace, in that dangerous place in the ring. And he's fought athletes. I know he's fought UFC guys that were past their prime, but they're Woodley guys like that. But these were fighters, champion, ex-champion, whatever, fighters that were in, that were, that that was their, their atmosphere, their, their environment. He went into their environment. And 
he fought them, and they and strong guys. Uh, Woodley's a strong guy. No, he's not a great striker, but a good enough striker where there was a danger. There was a certain danger there. And Jake Paul beat them. He lost his one fight to to the boxer uh, Fury. You know, competitive. He lost, but competitive. Not that Fury's the next Jake LaMotta, but, you know, Fury can box, even though he looked very bad in his last fight. I think there's a reason for it. I think he was... I think he took that fight for granted. He thought he was just going to put pressure on the fight and, and win instead of boxing and using his abilities the way he should have used them. But I talked about that in a prior episode, so I won't go down that road again. But Paul has taken this sport. He won me over by taking the sport seriously, respecting the sport. That's all I ask. And getting a trainer and spending a few years learning the trade applying the trade and trying to become as good as he can become and he's getting better he he didn't disrespect the sport by just jumping in there and saying oh yeah i'm i'm gonna bring in my 20 million followers i'm gonna make a quick buck no he dedicated himself to trying to actually learn the sport and be humble about it i know he's not a humble guy he talks and all that but that's what that's his that's what he has to do in the world with the brand that he developed he has to do that. He has to do that now. But he's been humble in a way that he knew what he didn't know. And he went about trying to learn it. And he's still trying to learn it. And he's getting better. He's getting calmer. He's gotten more comfortable in the ring. He was bouncing in and out with the jab, in and out, showing a little new dimension in that way. Um, and i tell you what he is. He's physically strong. He's an athlete. And he can punch with the right hand. He can punch with the right hand. And now he he added a, a little new repertoire, a, another punch to his arsenal. He Before it was jabbing right hand straight or loop. Now it's a right uppercut. And he threw it well. Now look, he had the right guy in front of him. He had a guy, to your point, he had a guy that fought all of his fights at 175 pounds except I think one. So he had a 20-pound advantage over a guy because Jake Paul's fought all his fights around 195. So he's, so he's 20 pounds bigger in a natural way than the guy. Okay. People say, oh, see, he gets an advantage. He picks on smaller guys. Uh, did you forget about a guy named Canelo? Canelo, I know, is a great fighter. I get it. And, and I shouldn't put him in the same sentence in certain ways. But if you're going to go knock Paul for having an advantage and taking, taking advantage of of the advantage that he has, that he could he could call the shots and make guys come in uh, to his realm uh, that that normally fight at one seventy five and now make him fight at one ninety five. Guess what? He makes the money. He brings the money. Canelo does the same thing. Canelo gets every advantage. Um, and and again, he's fought better fighters. He's a champion, but he gets every advantage because. He brings the money. He's the golden goose. Well, Jake Paul brings the money. So yeah, he gets the right to call the shots. That's the way it works. So, and he's been a genius in marketing himself. So I give him credit for that. I'm never going to say he's going to be, a, a, you know, something that would that that I just wouldn't come out of my mouth, that he's going to be a great boxer that is going to go down in the record books and, and shock the world as being a great but he, he has a goal to be a champion. And you know what? 
I'm not saying he's going to be. I'm not saying he's not going to be. Because I'm not betting a guy that's been this smart, this dedicated, and and planned his course of action to get to where he wants to get to so well so far. So far. So I'm, I'm not going to... I'm, I'm not going to really bet with him or against him. I'm not betting against him. The other quick thing I would add, if you go back and you look at the records of pick a fighter, pick Tank Davis, go look at his first like eight to 10 opponents. I promise you not one of them has a winning record. So you can say whatever you no, want. No, they had Jay winning Paul, records. On a, That's not a, true. That's not true. Hold on, Ken, hold on. Ken, Tank Davis had, he fought guys with winning records. Come on, please. I want to look at his, I, I want to look I at know. his. Um, oh, Ken. Hold on, hold on. I'll tell you if any one of them no, had a uh, no, but they have winning, a winning record. Yes, and Tank Davis has fought good fighters. On the way up, I, they I don't all disagree. no, no. I'm on the way up, the, yeah. on the way up to your point, everybody fights hand-picked opponents, well-chosen opponents. They go on a soft diet of a liquid diet of of fighting soft guys they can get on the way up to to a certain point. Yeah, every uh, everyone does that, but Paul's no different. But in his first ten fights, Javante Davis fought yeah. one guy with a winning record. He was forty-seven and thirty-one, and the rest of them had like four and seven, two and eight, three and nine debut, debut. Zero oh and four is first guys. Four and four, like the tenth guy. Uh, I'm not picking no, on Javante the, Davis. Yeah, but I'm the debut saying, no, debut is not a losing record. But I get what you're saying. Oh no, it's the debut. He fought a guy zero oh and four. No, you said he fought some and guy's they, debut. That they were making yeah, their two debut. Of the, two of the first four, but the first guy was right. 0 and 4. But if, debut, they, debut, if they were making their seven. debut, they weren't, they weren't losing records. Uh, they, they hadn't that's, lost. Okay, them. that's fair. Uh, no, I get but what you know you're what saying. saying. No, the point is, no, but, he's on the regular trajectory. But, uh, wait, has he the, fought one guy? He didn't fight one guy in his first 10 that had a winning record? Tank? Not one guy? Oh no! You he said had two he... with the debut. Hang on, I'll, I'll, I'll look real quick. Let me just tell you: zero and four debut, debut, yeah. two and three, four and seven, one and one, two and eight, three and nine, a debut, forty-seven and thirty-one, okay, four and four, five and three, eight and one. Those were the those were the first. Oh, eight like and eight one. Th- you left out the eight and one guy. Ken, come on. Uh, hold on. Let me. Yeah, hold on, I'll tell you what. One, two, three, four, five, Only, six, I seven, it. eight, nine, ten, I get eleven. It. That was his that I'm, was his twelfth fight. I'm with you. But you can't say he didn't fight anybody with a winning record. He he fought a couple guys that on a twelfth fight. Yeah, all right. Yeah. No problem. Listen, I'm not arguing with you. Everybody in my sport, in this sport, especially if they're a guy that has a future in front of them, they come out and sometimes I get I don't think it's even right. But you could have guys with 200, 300 amateur fights coming out into the pros and they're fighting the softest competition in the world for their first seven, eight, nine fights. Um, I don't agree with it. I think if you are that good and you had that many amateur fights, you don't have to fight guys like that. Even though you want to build up the record, you're not going to learn nothing. But I get it. It's a, it's a road well-traveled in boxing. It's a road well-traveled. Everyone does it. Um, and Jake Paul, you know, he, he's done what everyone's done. And, I, and you, can't, you can't knock him for it. Uh, you could also... And I definitely wasn't trying to knock Javante Davis. I'm just saying, like, I just picked a random name. If you oh, look no. at all well, of them, you Canelo, can't, no, Canelo I, I'm not a, Listen, I'm not against you. You can't knock Tank Davis because, A... He's he's I think one of the best 
pound for pound fighters in the world right now. I agree 100%. And, and not I'm only not that, him. he's proven it. He's fought good fighters. I mean, I'll he has fought agree. really. We're on the same page there. You look at his record of the guys he's fought. I mean, he's got a win where he destroyed Barrios, knocked him out, and Barrios has got reinv- has gotten a new. He's a former champion, Barrios, number one. But number two, he's moved up in weight now, and he's got like a a fresh start on a new career. It's incredible. Where he beat Ugas, he went and after losing to Tank Davis, he went up to welterweight. He beat Ugas, who's a world champion and and a Cuban fighter. Speaking about Cubans earlier, and an Olympian, he beats Ugas. So he's got a. I'm telling you, Tank Davis has nothing but a track record of beating in the last couple of years. Good fighters. I completely agree. I'm a. I like. I like Tank Davis. I think he's one of the best out there in the pound for pound list. The only thing, like we said, is like if you look at a lot of these guys, their early trajectories. I'm saying the knock on Jake is that he's fighting soft opponents, and I don't think, no, relatively I, speaking, well, it's been that soft for a brand new guy with the zero amateur fights. Well, first of all, I think that's he's right. Quite brave. First of all, you got to put things in context. You're, you're right. He he's not a kid with three on. If you had three hundred amateur fights, you win the Olympics. You shouldn't be fighting those kind of guys. But he's Agreed. still he's still a work in progress. You know what other thing that he doesn't get credit for, Teddy? All his fights, he's the main event in a packed, sold out arena. That's a shitload of pressure for a new guy without that experience. That experience is worth a lot to professional champion fighters. So to go out there and have that kind of expectations as opposed to making your debut and there's like six people in the stands, like just me and you in the crowd. No, I, look, he's a good businessman. I will finish up on the analysis of the fight. Uh, it was a first-round knockout. Doesn't need a lot of analysis, but it needs a little bit. Paul got hit with two right hands. He got he led with a left hook. Nobody talked about it. He led with a left hook in front, and he got hit with a right hand um, from August. He took something off it. He's got good reflex. He's a good athlete, Paul. He, I think at the last second, he really does have good reflexes. At the last second, I think he pulled away and took something off. But I, it was hard to see. But I, I, he got hit with a pretty good right hand, put it that way. And it was because he was leading with a left hook in front. That's why. And, and August threw a counter right hand at the right time, and he landed it. And then later in the round, he got hit another right hand. This one wasn't really significant. I think the first one was a little more significant. First, second one wasn't significant. But again, it was a counter right hand. He got hit. Why am I making this point? He got hit two right hands. Aside from the other things I said where there is something to build with Paul. He's strong. He's athletic. He's, you know, he, he's, he punches good with the right hand. He's competitive, obviously. But he's got a good chin. I can't remember it was the Woodley fight. But one of those fights, he got hit a good right hand. He, he took that well, too. He's got a good chin so far. And I know before you start going nuts... You don't have to tell Teddy that he hasn't been tested by Canelo or by the... I, <laughs> I, I know that. I know that. That's why I was getting out in front of these guys but by he's saying tested, he's on a pretty good trajectory. Yeah, but he's been tested a little bit. And he showed a pretty good chin uh, so far, or has shown a pretty good chin so far. Um, 
look, it's going to be interesting how much longer he can plow this road without stepping up the competition. He stepped it up a little with Fury again, but obviously that was his one loss. How long can he continue to travel down this road before he has to step it up again? I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Um, he, he's, you know, he, he's smart promoter. He's a smart. I, I had to laugh a little bit. He said, you know, I'm taking guys with a lot more fight, you know, more fights than me. All right, I, I'm with you, Jake, but you're 9-1. You got 10 fights. You took a guy that's got 12. It's not quite um, that much of a difference, but I get the reason he's saying it and the right to say it. He is he is fighting guys that all they're doing is boxing. They might not do it at a high level, but that's all they're doing. So, uh, and and he took on like I said earlier, his one loss. He took on a guy who's in a boxing family, uh, who's been boxing since he's a kid. Not at a high level, obviously, Tommy Fury I'm talking about. But still, uh, he, he took on that risk. And, and to his credit, uh, you know, he handled it. He, he lost. He, he moved forward. And uh, he's still on target to try to, to, try to fulfill his, his mission, his goal. That's it. Well... We're going to do a preview now of some upcoming fights, uh, the Wilder fight and um, the AJ fight. But before we do, I want to remind people, please stick around. At the end of these previews, I'm going to give you the Teddy and Ken's 12 Days of Christmas Ultimate Boxing Christmas Guide. We've got some incredible gifts. If you're looking for a last-minute prize for uh, any of your loved ones or even for yourself, uh, stick around after that, but let's jump right into it, Teddy. For our friends at MyBookie, and if you're going to place a wager, please go to MyBookie.ag, use the promo code ATLAS, and they'll give you a 50% to credit on your first deposit up to $1,000. Your deposit $2,000, they'll give you an extra $1,000. So before we get into the previews of the fight, I'm going to list the, uh, I'm going to give you the odds, but we're going to come back one on one at a time and revisit before you give your prediction. So in the first one, we got Deontay Wilder minus 600 against Joseph Parker. Even money on the over-under six and a half rounds. This will be interesting. And on the AJ fight, AJ minus 400 against a plus 260 for Otto Wallen. Over-under a 10 and a half. Uh, slight favorite to the, to the over, minus 190, plus 140 on the under. But let's start with Wilder. Joseph Parker, minus 600 favorite for Deontay Wilder. Seems like big odds. Joseph Parker is a, is a very good fighter. Uh, and I think the over-under is intriguing at six and a half rounds, even money there. What do you think? Who you like and what are you looking for? All right, Parker, 33-3. and three. Um, He has been stopped one time, 31 years old. Wilder, the best thing about Wilder is, you know, his, he's got a big heart. like And Parker does too. But he's got a big heart. And he's uh, got a great right hand. It's a great eraser for a lot of mistakes he makes. And he makes a lot of mistakes. Wilder makes a lot of mistakes. He's technically not that good. But he's got a new trainer for, what, about a year now or two years uh, that replaced Mark Breland. It was horrible way Wilder dealt with that, but we'll move past that. But it was. 
it was hard. Hopefully, he's become a better person since then. I hopefully, but it was terrible the way he dealt with that. With with Braylon, who's just a n- nice human being, former champion himself, uh, gold medalist from the Olympics, but he's got Malik Scott, I believe, still training him, former heavyweight prospect, and uh, funny thing is, Wilder actually knocked out Scott, and now he's his trainer. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm accurate about that. Look that up while I say that Malik Scott got knocked out by Wilder. Pretty sure he did, but in the meantime, I'll continue with the breakdown of the fight. Wilder, great, he's got that 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 power. Um, and with Malik Scott, the X factor, I think Malik Scott's trying to make him a better technical boxer. I think he is. Uh, I think he's, I don't know if he's going to be successful with it, but I think he's on the right road to give him Wilder something he really didn't have. Better technique, to go with the power. And if he does that, it could be interesting to see what we wind up with. But for this particular fight, Wilder and Parker, Parker's experienced enough to have a chance in this fight. He's he's a talented, good boxer. And he's got a trainer who I think is doing a great job with him a former world champion, Andy Lee, who I think comes up with the right fight plans and I think has also improved Parker since he's been with him. Here's the thing that bothers me about Parker. About four fights ago, he got stopped by Joe Joyce. The only time he's been stopped in his career. Joyce, a silver medalist from the Olympics, at the time was undefeated, good puncher, slow, ponderous guy, but a good puncher. And Joyce stopped him. Joyce, since then, has deteriorated. He has deteriorated to where, I don't even know if he's fighting anymore, but he got knocked out in his last fight by the Chinese heavyweight, Zali Zhang. Zhang beat him the first time. They fought twice. Uh, Beat him the first time and then stops him the second time in a rematch. That loss, that loss... Maybe I should just go past it. But that loss that loss to Joyce by Parker is on my mind a little bit when I want to make a case for Parker to win this fight. Uh, at the end of the day, Parker's an experienced guy, a game guy, a guy who will, along with his trainer, will rise to the occasion, be ready to give the best performance possible. I'm going to pick Wilder to win it. Um, I think his athleticism, he's got an edge in natural athleticism and that eraser, that right-hand eraser and his his heart. He's, he's got great heart, Wilder, as does Parker. I think it's an interesting enough fight. I'm taking Wilder to win the fight by late, by late round stoppage. So you're liking the over six and a half. I like the over and I like Wilder. What do you have to lay to take Wilder straight up? Minus 600 and then even money on six and a half rounds. Minus 115 over or under your choice. Rob's going to look up what the parlay, um, what the odds are. If you want to take Wilder in the over, that might be a good um, parlay. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of 
the person that Parker is and the fighter that he is. I am. I'm, I'm a big fan. But I got to put that aside and uh, give, you know, put my best foot forward to give the right, what I think is the right analysis for the fans out there that might want to go to my bookie and, you know, get a couple extra bucks for for the holidays. Um, if they have those couple extra bucks to take a chance. Otherwise, you should not be doing that. Uh, do not bet the Christmas money, no, whatever you do. No, do not do that. Um, if you do that, there will be coal in your stocking. Yeah, I, I, I like, I like water. Uh, wait, did you look Bob's up look. to see if he knocked out his trainer? Yes, he did. First round in a twelve-round fight, and that took place back in um, March fifteenth, two thousand and fourteen. First round knockout. Uh, Wilder stops Malik Scott. Yeah, and like I said, I think Malik Scott's on the right path to try to make him a better fighter. But go ahead, Anthony Joshua minus four hundred over the great Otto Wallen at plus two sixty. Uh, I'm going to go on record right now. I like Otto Wallen in this fight. Um, over, under, over is plus 140. The under is minus 190. Ten and a half rounds. I think after what Otto Wallen did against uh, Tyson Fury, I think he's massively underrated. I think in, in, if it was anyone other than Tyson Fury, the fight stopped on that horrific cut that he put on him, and he looked good for a lot of the fight against Tyson Fury. And he just coming off a, a big win uh, against a former cruiserweight champion who's a slow ponderous guy, you know, but but a good puncher. And he and that was in Turkey, so he had to go to foreign territory, you know, where uh, people didn't have his best interest in mind. And he had to win in foreign territory, in hostile territory, if you will. He's mentally fit uh, to handle that. And I'll tell you where... Very close to split split decision in, uh, like you said, in Turkey against Murat Gassiev. Gassiev? Yeah, that means he won. So to get that, you know it must... He, exactly. No, means he must he have won, knocked he him won, down six times. He won every round. But anyway, um, <laughs> look. Oh, I've got the scorecards here. Hold on. 15-13 on two scorecards, and one guy had him lose in 117-111. Yeah, they were trying to do the number on him. But... That's yeah. unfortunate, but that's our business. Thank God he got the just win. Look. The only loss he has is the unanimous decision loss against um against Tyson Fury in that score was that fight was judged 18-10, 17-11, and 16-12. I thought it was closer, but awesome fight. Here's the thing for the breakdown on this for my bookie. Uh we're doing it with them uh wanting us to do this special little breakdown. I I think the trainer's coming to play big here, and I'll tell you why. Joshua's, I don't know if he's in his second, third, fourth trainer. I don't know what it is. But he's been switching trainers like uh, you'd switch running shoes. Uh, yep. He, you know, he, he switched over. He, he, he went to, I want to make sure I got the right names, but uh, let's see. Um Make sure I wrote down their names so I wouldn't. I don't like to make mistakes. Um, so he's now with a new trainer, Ben Davison, who was with Fury. That that's that was as far as I know. That was the first fighter Ben Davison ever trained, and now he's become like a star. But 
he's um he's he's working with Ben Davidson, I believe, for this fight. And he had just switched before that to Derek James. Um to have him train him and I think he trained him for two fights. And now he's back with a different guy with Davidson, but which really gets strange. It's hard to follow. It's like trying to follow a soap opera where he's going to go back to James after this fight. So I don't, I, I don't know what's really going on except that he's, he, he likes to change or he's been liking to change trainers. All right. That could be good. That could be a problem because you're switching trainers like that. You're trying to learn new things. You're with a new philosophy, a new guy in your corner. That could. He's very experienced, Joshua. So maybe it won't bother him. But it's an X factor. And I mention it because of that. It's worth mentioning. Wallen, on the other hand, has the same training he's had. And just like I talked about Joe Parker's got a former world champion fighter training him in Andy Lee, Wallen has a former world champion fighter, Joey Kamash, who I think has done a tremendous... I'm going to go further. Not only did, has he done a tremendous job with Wallen, I, I very rarely say this. I think he might be the main reason Wallen's where he is. I think that he's done such a good job with Wallen, with what he had to work with with Wallen, that without Kamaj, I don't think Wallen is where he is. Because Joey has made him a solid technical fighter. Wallen is not a greatly talented guy. He's talented in a way that he believes in himself, that he works hard. He's a big heavyweight, you know, regular big size heavyweight, good size. Um, he's talented in a way that he's ambitious, that he believes in himself. That's a talent. Don't get me wrong. And he's technically solid. And he does, I don't think there's anything he doesn't do the right way. But there's not one thing he does great. That's what I mean where he's not greatly talented. He's not a great puncher. He's not real fast. You know, his feet aren't greatly fast. His hands aren't greatly fast. Even though I'm using those words that sound a little out of sync to use them that way. But you get what I'm trying to say. But he does, there's, I don't see too many weaknesses in him. He does a lot of things solid. And there's something to be said about a guy who does a lot of things solid, who's getting a chance of a lifetime, who's hungry as hell, who's fighting a guy in Joshua who's maybe not hungry. I, I'm not in his mind, so I'm not gonna or his heart, so I'm not gonna say he's not Josh. He's not hungry, even though he's made a hundred million dollars or whatever he's made. He's made a lot of money, but he doesn't have to be hungry, Joshua. Put it that way. He might still be hungry, but he doesn't have to be hungry. Whalen has to be hungry. This is his chance. This is really his chance of a lifetime. And I think him and his trainer know that, and they're going to they're gonna make the most of it. I think Joshua is the more talented guy. I think I've made that clear as far as physical talent. Uh, he's the guy who's going to be the favorite to, not only the favorite on paper, but there's no way Eddie Hearn is going over there with his cash cow without knowing that he's got it pretty much cemented that at the end of the day, unless a spaceship comes down and evacuates Joshua from the arena, Joshua's hand's going to be raised, you know? And I don't think Wallen's the big puncher to knock him out, 
even though Joshua, his whiskers or his chin can be a little susceptible sometimes. But I don't think Wallen's got that kind of firepower. But you never know. Big guy landing clean, you never know. Or you could just break a guy down mentally, you never know. Joshua got broke down mentally and physically by a guy named Andy Ruiz a few years ago. That's right. Just in case we forgot that. So, I'm going to go with a real wild pick here. I'm going to go with Wallen as a huge upset. I, I, I know that I should pick Joshua. That's the easier pick. I know if they're both standing at the end of the day that Joshua's going to get his hand raised, whether he deserves it or not. I just know it. I'm sorry for being that, that, that straightforward about things that I am. And that candid about, but that's the truth. He's going to get his hand raised. I know that there's also a risk that Joshua could knock out Wallen because Joshua's the better puncher here. Joshua might land a, a nice, concise counterpunch, which he has the ability to do, and knock out Wallen. But I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a shot here, and I'm gonna go with Wallen winning a decision. Uh, at the end of the day. And I'm going to give myself a little bit of a... I'm going to I'm gonna back myself up in this way. I'm not sitting on the fence, but I'm going to back myself up in a way that I'm going to say that I it's either going to be that or Joshua winning a controversial decision. In other words, getting a gift. But other than that, I'm going to take Wallen to earn a decision win, even though I have my doubts whether or not the judges will do the right thing. But I think Wallen will do the right thing and do enough to earn a chance to win that fight at the end of 12. What am I getting in return, Ken? On the... Um, on the fight and then on the, on the over. Yeah, you want me to see uh, Rob will pull up what the parlay is. But on AJ, you're at minus 400, and Otto Wallen is at plus 260. Okay. And on the over-under, on the over, you're getting plus 140, and on the under, you get, you're get laying 190, under 10 and a half rounds. Yeah. Over gets you 140 back. Good. So I'm I'm going to – this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be smart about it if, if I know how to be smart. In, in the gambling world. And I don't know if anybody does in the gambling world, to be quite frank. But I'm going to take the over by itself. I'm going to put the bigger bet on the over. And then I'm going to put a smaller bet where I'm getting the odds on my side anyway on Wallen by decision. Because I do have to fear that Joshua might wind up getting the benefit of a, uh, you know, a fight that uh, maybe the scorecards were written before they got to Saudi Arabia. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) All right. Well, if you want to take Wallen and the over... They'll give you $450 back for that wager. Lay 100 get 450 back. Easiest win of your life. All right. I'll do that. But how about, could I take Joshua any over? But that I wouldn't get nothing there, right? Give me one second. I'm pulling that up right now. Only AJ because, again, I'm not, I'm not standing on the fence, people. I'm only saying. No, you got to. 
as a saver, as a saver, as a saver bet, yeah. could I take a small parlay on Joshua and all? Either way, I like the over. Well, first of all, if you if you want Wallen to win by decision, yeah. and it's over, the over is ten and a half. If you want Wallen in the decision. They'll be generous enough to give you $525 back for your $100 Well, that's what I'm wager. doing then. Well, yeah, All right, so that's, that's my it. bet. That's my bet. Now, what if I take Joshua in the over? One second. I'm just pump, 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 or, putting that into my calculator yeah, here. Or even say Joshua by, you know, decision. And give over. Give me one second. And, and over. Even money. Joshua in the over is even money. Yeah, all right. I I'm I'm gonna put a I'm gonna put a save a bet just to save a bet uh, on that. I know I got too many bets out there, but um, <laughs> that's I, all right. But I I know what I'm doing because, or at least I think I do, because I'm taking a shot to win real money with Wallen by decision and the over. Yeah. All right. Well, when everyone wins these bets. I want to tell you right now that if you're looking for Christmas gifts, I'm going to give you a few right here. Special Fight with Teddy Atlas Christmas gift guide. First one, I personally like a, a physical book, but I always buy the Audible as well because if it's a book I like, I like to keep it on the shelf and refer to it, but I also like to listen to them while I'm running. Atlas, From the Streets to the Ring, A Son Struggled to Become a Man by the great Teddy Atlas, available on Amazon. You can also get a copy on Audible, like I said, if you want to listen while you're running. How about this real quick? A year subscription to Athletic Greens. Athleticgreens.com slash Atlas. Use the promo code. If you're a fighter or an aspiring fighter or you have children that are fighters and you want to help them get an introduction to the fight game, go to dynamicstriking.com and look for the Teddy Atlas series. There's about, how many you got now, Teddy? 16? 18. 18 different videos on every punch in the uh, boxing arsenal. There's the peekaboo style. It really is super cool. Um videos and instructional instructional content there if you want to get an intro to the sport or you want to look at how teddy would teach different punches uh, from the master himself next up boxraw.com go to boxraw.com and look at the 36 collection teddy atlas collection 36 minutes to make life fair they've got everything you need to go to a boxing gym you're not going to wear timberlands to go play basketball don't wear running clothes to go box wear boxing apparel from box raw um what, what oh t-shirts from the fight with teddy atlas go to uh, teddyatlas.com and you can get one of the two different shirts we have here's the one i'm wearing it's just got the logo the fight with teddy atlas but on the back it's real cool check it out Ugh. can you see that no now we can your back is so camera. immense your back is so immense that <laughs> it's it's like a billboard <laughs> It's like a bill 165 pounds like of twisted steel. <laughs> Teddyatlas.com. Get the um get the two. We have two different t-shirts up there. Um obviously we love them. I wear it every week. Um what am I forgetting, Teddy? Is there anything else on the Christmas gift guide that people should know about? No, thank you. That was very nice of you. I'm gonna I'm gonna finish my thing with this. Um I I gotta call out the promoters, and I'll tell you why. Good and bad, and and I'm gonna explain it real quick. Obviously, we there's huge money being given out uh, like candy by the oil barons of Saudi Arabia, and so you're having this this really nice card, right? 
And I'm glad. I'm happy. It's good for boxing, especially if we're losing Showtime. We're losing all these networks. We we need something. It's good. But here's the thing that bothers me. And it could turn into a good thing. It shows you there's no excuse no more for these promoters that will not put the fights, the good fights together. I'm not saying these are the fights we want. They're not the top fights, Wallen and Joshua, Wallen and Parker. But they're good. They're good. So it's a start in the right direction. What I'm saying is that we haven't been getting the fights on any kind of regular basis, not even close to it, because the promoters won't put their guys in because they won't allow their guys to fight the other guy's guy because they don't control the whole promotion. So we don't get solid fights enough. Now we suddenly are magical, magical. It shows you that it can happen, that these promoters will go and work together to put these kind of fights on. But it comes down to really the oldest the oldest human trait and weakness probably there is in the world. It comes down to to greed. I, I'm sorry that I say things that straight, but it comes down to money, right? They, so if, they, if we learned anything, a lot of people will say that old saying, money is the root of all evil. Well, we learned something else here. That money is the one thing that can bring promoters together to give us the fights that we want. Money. And when you got a bunch of barons of oil just chucking money out, which is crazy, but chucking money out there, it shows you that these fights can easily be made. So I'm not saying that we should depend on these oil barons of Saudi Arabia to to be the only impetus to to get these kind of fights what i'm saying is the fans hold these promoters feet to the fire now and say we don't want to hear it no more we know you can make fights that we want make them there's money out there it might not be oil money all the time but there's enough money if you make the fights that we want we will come kind of like that movie you know field of dreams build it they will come the people will come, and the money will be there. So uh, I'm just hoping that it could be something that the fans can hold the f- promoter's feet to the fire and continue to make these competing promoters come together for this, you know, for the sport. For themselves, they're going to get paid plenty. It's always for that. But for the benefit of the sport, the sport needs it. The sport needs it. Right now, we are in trouble. Losing Showtime, we lost HBO years ago. We we need to come up with a solution of why we're losing fans or networks. And the solution is not that complicated. It's to put on the fights that people want. Better fights. So... Maybe Rob will take this piece and make it into a clip. He does a marvelous job of, he puts the episode up on Tuesday, which is tomorrow. And then by Thursday, he takes a few clips. I'm sure one of the clips will be the breakdown of, of these fights in Saudi Arabia. But another clip could be 
and I'll name it right now, how we can save boxing. How we can save boxing. How we can, how we can keep boxing from losing any more fans or any more networks. Um, how we can get boxing back to the top of the mountain. And that's how. That's how. Anyway, that's my, like the late, great Jack Newfield, my friend and great, great, great writer used to say, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. I, ho- I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Everybody a uh, Happy New Year. Well, we'll see you before the New Year. But I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Whatever your holiday is, Quantra or, or, or whatever, Hanukkah or what's the ones I'm missing? Whatever. Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa. Festivus. All of them. All of them. The Festivus for the rest of us. Everybody. I wish everybody the best of holidays. Treat each other good. Enjoy your family. Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy every day of your life. You don't know. You just don't know. And um, and we'll see you back here. You know, same bad time, same bad channel. And we're going to discuss internally about what to do for um, next week's episode. Christmas is on Monday, which is when we typically record. So we're going to uh, discuss how we can get you guys another episode and break down these two massive heavyweight fights from Saudi Arabia. So worst case, we'll have an episode up by Wednesday. Worst case scenario, we'll record it on Tuesday. But stay tuned. Look for our social channels. We'll post their updates. Rob's on top of everything. But everyone, please have a very Merry Christmas. Thank you for all the support this year. And look forward to seeing you guys all next week. Merry Christmas.